I want to look at this morning the five verses in the middle of chapter 8, verses 10 through 15. Let me read them for us one more time. I know we read them at the beginning of the service, but I want to read them one more time to set our hearts back in this text. Verse 10, in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For the readiness is there, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he doesn't have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdens, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need. So their abundance may supply your need, and there may be fairness. As is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. This is a passage about giving, and I think it's appropriate to look at that on Thanksgiving Day. And apologies if there's family members here who don't normally go to church and you're visiting your Christian relatives in the D.C. area and you think, oh, at church they only ever teach about giving and lo and behold, they brought you to church on this Thanksgiving day and you're going to hear about giving. But uh, Thanksgiving, there's the giving in the phrase, so I I think it's appropriate. You know, parents, Christian parents are always looking for ways to instill in their kids a heavenly mindset. And it seemed like fads come and go and parenting tips come and go that if you do this or you read this books or you do family devotionals this way or if you you know don't let them watch tv or you only let them watch these shows tv or you do this or do that then your kids will have instilled in them a legacy of christianity and you know there i think there's going to be varying degrees of truth of all to all that but what you find here this morning in this passage is a very practical thing a very practical way you can live your life in front of your children that instills in them an eternal mindset. It's a countercultural truth that if you as parents lead a generous life with your money and how you give resources away, it instills in your kids the importance of eternity. And I don't mean being generous to them, like, oh, if I give my kids lots of gifts, then they'll see the importance of generosity because that reasoning doesn't go too far. <laughs> or the idea that I'm generous for them We live on a strict budget so that we can pay for college, so that they can get the right kind of car, so that they can play on the right soccer team or whatever. And listen, I'm all in favor of playing on the right soccer team. (laughs) But I'm talking about being generous towards others for the advancement of the gospel in the world, that you lead your family that way, that you use your finances that way, where it's evident in your family that your kids are even aware that you do things differently. You live a different lifestyle than other people because you are using your money to invest in spiritual, eternal, kingdom-advancing work. Just like the best way to teach a child to farm would be to take him out on the farm and have him farm. The best way to teach a child to, to love teaching is to have him teach or the best way from a perspective of a soccer coach to teach a kid to love soccer is to have him go actually play. The best way to teach children a love for heaven and a love for eternity is to have them in their own family participate in the sending forward of resources into glory. You could say it this way. The best way to reap a harvest is to plant seeds. And that's going to be your outline this morning. Four steps to go from sowing to reaping. I actually got three. Three steps to go from sowing 
to reaping. And if you just follow along with this outline, I think it'll help this passage come to, come to life because I know for many of you, you read these five verses here in the middle of 2 Corinthians 8 and you almost gloss over them. If you're reading them in your quiet time, your eyes are moving along to, you know, you jump from the wonderful truth in verse 9 that Jesus was rich and became poor for our sake and you get to this giving section like, okay, I got it. Give money and let's get on to the good stuff. <laughs> But buried here in this section, or you could say sown here in this section, are these truths about how you can plant seeds that will grow into eternity. For three steps to go from sowing to reaping. By the way, the sowing-reaping language is used in chapter 9. Down in verse 10, he supplies the seed to the sower, and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. It's this idea that how you use your money here, how you use the physical resources you have, how you plant them, it is putting them in the ground, and it will produce fruit. It'll produce a harvest. Obviously, this is an overflow of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, don't store for yourself treasure on earth where moth, rust, and thieves and all that can damage it. Instead, sow your treasure, put your treasure, send it to heaven where moth can't get to it, rust can't. You know, there's no threat of thieves in heaven. There's no alarm system in heaven. Let's look at how that happens first. Readiness leads to completion. Readiness leads to completion. And you see this in verse 10. In this matter, I give you my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started to do this work, but also to desire to do it. For now, in doing it, you'll finish it well, so your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it. This is like the old adage in sports, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. <laughs> There's a difficulty, especially with, with junior high kids. I remember one Glorious year of coaching junior high soccer. Oh, those kids. But there's a hesitancy in some of those players. They don't want to shoot because they don't want to miss. And I was friends with the basketball coach of the school I was talking about. He said, you see nothing until you see some middle school students try to play basketball because they're, they're, they're afraid to shoot. They don't want to shoot because what if they miss? And you almost have to get over that, that thinking in their minds to help them understand, well, of course you're going to miss. But that's, I mean, you've got to start shooting. And this is, Paul's applying that language here to giving or to keep it in the farming analogy. You, you don't harvest any of the seed that you don't plant. We have a company that does our grass and every year they do our grass and they give us a bag of like extra seed uh, so we can put in our yard. I don't know what for. And, and it's been sitting there in our basement for a year or two now. I've got bags from a couple different seasons sitting there just, and you know what? It would be silly if I returned it to them and said, this is not growing grass at all. It's just sitting here, and it's not, I thought this was supposed to be grass. Well, you have, to, you have to plant it and maybe even water it. That's Paul's language here. If you want to participate in the advancement of the gospel, you have to be ready to give. If you want to be a good giver of your finances, you have to be ready to do it. You have to have the willingness to do it. You have to want to do it. The point here, that Paul's writing this passage, is to convince you that you want to give your money to eternal things. Right now, the context of 2 Corinthians, there's a famine in Jerusalem where the early church started. The first church was in Jerusalem. They're hit with a famine. People are starving to death. The Christians are not starving to death because they're selling their resources and giving to the, the Jewish widows and to the Gentile widows that, that came in. They had developed the first deacons to take care of that. But their resources are becoming depleted. They send Paul as an ambassador to the Gentiles to go around the world and preach the gospel. And they tell him, we're sending you, commissioning you to go to the Gentiles, but there's one thing you have to remember. 
Remember the poor. Take money up for the poor. And Paul says in Galatians 2, I think verse 10, it's the very thing that he wanted to do. And so this is him doing it. What you see here in 2 Corinthians 8 is Paul doing what he was commissioned to do. He's going church to church and he's preaching the gospel. He's seeing them saved. Now he says, a fruit of your salvation, send money back to Jerusalem. You have to want to do that. You remember that what you have isn't yours, but it's God's and you're just supposed to take care of it. That's why I don't like the illustration of, uh, you know, I don't like calling offering giving to God because when you're, you're giving to the church or whatever, you're not necessarily giving to God. You're using your money to advance the kingdom for sure. But God owns everything you own already. In that sense, you're not giving to him. He already owns your stuff any more than a, a manager at the end of the day is cashing out the, the stuff, the, the cash register and writing on the finances and dropping the bag to send to the bank. The manager's not giving the money to the, you know, the parent organization. It's is theirs. He's just transferring it. And that's the way we should live our Christian's life. And one of the easiest ways to send money into glory is to, by giving to the poor in the church, giving to the Christian poor. This is Proverbs 19, verse 17. Listen to this. He who gives to the poor lends to the Lord. You know who's good for their debt? The Lord. He has never defaulted. Never defaulted. <laughs> he who gives to the poor, Proverbs says, lends to Yahweh. Lends to Yahweh. You're always looking for a good place to put your money. You know, if you have extra money, you're looking, you know, do I put it in a savings account? Do I buy stocks? Do I, oh, I hear there's a bubble coming, a tech bubble. Better, you know, switch to cash. Bury it in your backyard. Dig it out in a few months. <laughs> You know one safe place to put your money? In heaven. In heaven. There's a story about Lottie Moon that uh, ended up being the, you know, kind of the founder of Southern Baptist Missions, but as Union troops were ransacking the properties where she had her farm in Southern Virginia, as Union troops after the Civil War were ransacking property, she had all of her wealth, and she didn't know what to do with it. She thought about giving it to the, the slaves that were had now just been freed by the end of the war, but she didn't do that. Instead, she went and buried it in her apple orchard. And if you know the story, after the troops went by, the troops couldn't find it. She went back out to get it, couldn't find it. And so either it is still there to this very day in an apple orchard. What better place to go on Thanksgiving? Or it was stolen by slaves that saw her bury it. it seems more likely. There's an adage there that had she wanted to protect it, the best thing she should have done with it was given it to her friends. Because <laughs> they saw where she put it and took it anyway. There's this idea in Christianity, the best way to protect your money is to give it away. To give it away. And that's what Paul's arguing here, that you have to be ready to give to the work of the Lord. You have to want to do it. Verse 11, Paul says, I want you to finish out. You started this last year, finish it out. Uh, a pastor of mine before who received a lot of invitations to go speak somewhere, I had a little mantra that he said, the only thing worse than saying no to go speaking somewhere is to saying yes to go speaking there only once. <laughs> he used to say, if I go somewhere once, I have to go there twice. Otherwise, I think they offended me. <laughs> and this is Paul's language here to the Corinthians. Yeah, you gave a little bit of an offering last year. You need to finish it out this year. You need to keep giving. And that's the lo logic here. You have to be ready to give and not just to start to give, but to carry the act all the way through. That's why I love hearing the giving report about what happened in India from our offering before. We've got a church there. We're funding workers there. And of course, we're going to keep up that work there. 
It seems like the world changes so fast, though. We forget about things that are urgent. This afternoon, we're going to take a, or in a few minutes, we're going to take an offering for the places in Florida that were devastated by the hurricanes, for churches that are there that were destroyed to help with Samaritan's Purse and their ministry there. It seems like so long ago that that happened. We've forgotten about it. You know, that was two months ago. It's but a moment. And we live in a social media age where, you know, yesterday's outrage is today's amnesia. We don't remember it anymore. But the truth is, you have to be dedicated in your mind to thinking, how am I using my money? And then following through to completion. Well, secondly, readiness leads to completion. Secondly, possessions limit your generosity. Possessions limit your generosity. He says in verse 12, in the last part of verse 12, according to what a person has, not according to what he doesn't have. And this is just as axiomatic as the first point. In order to give well, you have to want to give. Step one is actually take the shot. But step two here is, you know, don't worry so much about this. You can only give what you have. And that sounds obvious, isn't it? But some people have this sense of guilt on them. I, I mean, I have talked to many, many people that tell me I don't give financially to the church because I'm not in a financially solid enough place yet. I don't have enough money. We've got a mortgage, we owe in a car, we've got credit card debt, so I don't give to the church. And so maybe when my credit card debt is paid off and I have a couple of kids, I have more disposable income. <laughs> they don't know how funny it sounds when they say it, but they, they say it. Then I'll be in a situation to give. And you know, listen, you're not expected to give what you don't have, but you are expected to give. You know, I mean, a dollar. This is, I think this is such a practical point about giving. You want to give? Listen, you feel like you're not in a financial place to give? Give a dollar every Lord's Day. Give a dollar every Sunday. A dollar. Okay? Give a dollar. If you can't afford a dollar, give a quarter, okay? But the idea is that you're giving something. You're giving something no matter how small. And that becomes your habit. That becomes your pattern. That becomes your routine where you're just giving something. And, and it will be remarkable how that changes your desires. Verse the person who says, I can't give it all because I'm not in a good place financially. I can't give it all because it would be embarrassing to just give a dollar a week. I mean, that's just embarrassing. Rather, I'll wait for 15 years until I get all the raises and my kids are off at their free college or whatever, and then I'll give a lot. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. So the truth is, give now, give small. And that's Paul point, Paul's point in verse 12, that you give according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. You're sitting around people in church that give way more than you. And Emmanuel is such a generous church. There's so many people that give so generously here. And maybe you know that, and maybe some of them are your friends, or maybe you sit next to them on Sunday, and you're just like, I'm not, I can't give now. I can't give now. But Paul's point here is, listen, God understands what you have. You give according to that. You give according to that. God giving small demonstrates your readiness, and God, of course, honors that. The person who is, has little but gives, you know, it's proportionate. The person who has little but gives some, oftentimes in God's sight, gives more than the person who has much that gives more. You just make it your practice to give. Verse 13 crushes this idea of kind of communism in the church or like economic equity. Paul says, I don't mean that others should be easing you burdens. I just mean this is a matter of fairness. He's saying, I'm not saying everybody should give all they have. I've heard people teach that. You should give all you have. If you have any possessions or any savings at all, you're not being faithful. So give it all. Well, that's silly because then tomorrow you would be the poor that need the money from the church. And there'd be no one left to give. I mean, Paul says very clearly, I'm not saying you should give everything so that you yourself become a burden. That doesn't make any sense at all. And he says, he's very clear, I'm not saying that. It's amazing how 
It's a teaching I come across often in college students that have no economic sense, all due respect, generally speaking. <laughs> but this idea that, the, you know, to, Jesus tells the rich young ruler, sell you have and give to the poor, and so that should be the mantra for us. Anybody with two coats is actually in sin. Well, no. And Paul makes that quite clear right here. I don't mean that others should be eased and you burdened. He's talking about a matter of fairness. And this word fairness is going to lead to our third point, that abundance leverages joy. Abundance leverages joy. This word, it means fairness here is how it's translated in the SV. Some translations translate it equity. And it's a word that I think really means tension, held in balance. Uh, not kind of Eastern mysticism, yin-yang, but just the way your hand is held in balance with your foot. Your hand doesn't bear the same amount of weight your foot does. Your foot bears all your weight, but your hand does all the eating of the food and, and that kind of stuff. And your eyes do all the seeing and your ears do all the listening. That's the balance of the body. It doesn't mean everybody has this, every member has the same in its checking account. It means that the way the body functions together holds everything perfectly in intention or in balance or in equity. God made the church where there are some wealthy people in the church and some poor people in the church. And I'm not even talking about Emmanuel Bible Church, the church universal. There are wealthy parts of the church like Emmanuel Bible Church and there are poor parts of the church like in Jin, India. And the balance there is the, the holding of the, the body together is that we're generous in what we give to them and they receive it with joy. They receive it with joy. It's a symbiotic relationship. We require their joy to be the witness of the world of how generous Christians are. If we just gave our own church body, that would not be a witness to the world of how generous Christians are, right? Oh, look at those Christians. They're so generous. They, they exchange their money all the time every Sunday. No, but by giving to those that are in need, it's a demonstration to the world here that Christians are sacrificial and to the world in India that Christians care for one another. It produces an equilibrium or a, a balance in the church body. A balance in the church body. And the language that Paul uses for this is uh, verse 15. It's from Exodus 16, verse 18. The manna passage, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. I mean, the manna grows in the ground back in Exodus 16. And the young, you know, college students run out there in the morning and they come back with bushels of it. And the elderly go out there and they're so slow and it hurts their back and they can only gather so little. But everybody gets back in the house and guess what? They all have the same. It's like an American tradition called Thanksgiving, which I'm aware of, and you will get there. <laughs> you bring a little tiny salad. No romaine, please. A little tiny salad. <laughs> and you will eat the same turkey as the person who brought the turkey. It's equitable, is the idea. It's all held in balance. Speaking entirely hypothetical. The Lord gives manna and everyone is fed perfectly. The old, the weak, the young, the strong. You know, we live in a world where there's economic trade-offs, where you sacrifice some physical things in this world for the sake of balance in the church body. And that's the point of the manna connection. And listen, man does not live by bread alone. There's more important things for your kids than being on the right soccer team and having the right clothes and having the right toys and going to the right college. There's more important things for them. There really is. You cannot measure faithfulness by dollars. That's the point of manna. Man does not live on bread alone. And God is sovereign over his people's food. God is sovereign over what they eat. And God is sovereign over their joy that they receive from giving. I mean, at the end of your life, if you're giving money away your whole life, 
if you would get that money back and be able to buy things throughout your life with that money that you gave away, which would give you more joy? The things that you spent your money on throughout your life? I mean, I'm sure there's some children here that probably don't even remember what they got for Christmas last year. I mean, the joy from things is so fleeting. This is why Jesus says in Acts 20 verse 35, it is more blessed to give than to? It's better. It gives you more joy. It gives you more joy. And this joy holds the Christian body together. Calvin calls this a befitting symmetry to the church's body. It's a symmetry that goes all the way into glory. And Paul means here, I think, to the, by the Gentiles being generous with their money, it will provoke the Jews to embrace the gospel. And this, of course, speaks forward to the millennial kingdom where Jesus will come back. And it's a remarkable thing to think about, that by you being generous to the poor, you're participating in kingdom advancement in this world, but in the language of 2 Corinthians 8, in a very direct way, you're participating in, in bringing the Lord back to earth. Because <laughs> our generosity will provoke others, specifically the Jews in Jerusalem, to jealousy and to appreciate the, the power of the gospel and one day they too will be converted to Jesus Christ. The symmetry is how the church is held together. We have money, we plant it. It produces a harvest of joy, a harvest in our life, a harvest in the hearts of those who receive it. And the watching world sees that this is the model of Jesus Christ who though is rich in glory, he himself became poor and he became poor for our sake. Lord, we're thankful for the truth that it is more blessed to give than to receive. What a joy that is to know. What a joy that is that you work on the system of giving. You don't command in here. Christians give a certain percentage of their income. That would be silly. It wouldn't be, um, it wouldn't be fruitful. Those who give reluctantly uh, receive no joy from it. Those who give... Uh, as though they would rather not give, don't magnify your glory through that act. And so, Lord, we pray uh, now for this offering that we'll receive. We pray knowing that you're glorified not just through the dollar amount, but you're glorified through the joy that people have when they give to your work. We give you thanks for this. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we're going to do now before we take the offering, but let me invite the ushers forward. Let me explain to you what we're going to do. Um, we're going to take an offering this year on behalf of Samaritan's Purse. Uh, last year was for the, the um, work in India. This year will be for Samaritan's Purse. Um, Samaritan's Purse is working on hurricane relief assistance. The southern United States continues to recover from the effects of Hurricane Florence and Michael. Many families and communities are experiencing severe devastation. The Samaritan's Purse has uh, relief teams that are there. They're also thinking about deploying re relief teams to California. If you're familiar with how Samaritan's Purse works, they have these mercy trucks that go out, teams of contractors. They can do just incredible things. Um, it's just amazing what they do. They, uh, <laughs> I heard somebody say, I think it was Rick Warren about 10 years ago, who said it's sad that the Red Cross is the, the most effective disaster relief in the world. Uh, what's, what's the church doing to step up? And, and now you're getting this image through what Samaritan's Purse does. They're so effective in what they do. Um, getting teams onto the ground to, uh, to work around government bureaucracy in many cases and be very effective in their, their work. Disaster, and I, I know Red Cross is a great, amazing work as well. Um, I don't, didn't mean that negatively towards them. I just mean that Samaritan's Purse is very streamlined in how they're working through churches on the ground is what they do. 
distributing the gospel wherever they go. They have relief teams right now in Georgia, Florida, and the Carolinas, helping homeowners recover from the destruction caused by the hurricanes. They're tarping roofs, clearing debris, chainsawing down trees. Um, most of their workers are from uh, churches around America, um, and they, use, they only operate out of local churches as their operational staging grounds. Um, they pray with the owners of every house they serve. They give Bibles and gospel information to them. They share the gospel everywhere they go. Uh, this is partnering with them as an opportunity for Emmanuel Bible Church to help churches in Florida. Um, and then possibly in California, they're still assessing whether their teams would be well served there or not. But we're going to give them the money with their discretion. So they can use it in Florida or the Carolinas, or they can use it in California, depending on where they, they see the need is. Um, so that's what we're giving. And I pray that if you decide to give to that, you would give joyfully and generously uh, and not with a sense of compulsion or the sense that you have to do it just because we're taking the offering after I preach on giving. <laughs> Lord, we do know that you uh, care for those who are in need. And so we give this offering to help the gospel go forward through our churches. Um, we're thankful uh, for the privileges to give and to work with Samaritan's Purse. Um, we pray that you would use this offering to help families that are in areas of distress. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to Emmanuel with Pastor Jesse Johnson. You can find more resources like this at ibcva.com. Here is a parting word from Pastor Jesse. If you have any questions about what you heard today, or if you want to learn more about what it means to follow Christ, please visit our church website, ibcva.com. If you're not a member of a local church and you live in the Washington, D.C. area, we'd love to have you worship with us here at Emmanuel. We're located in Northern Virginia, and for more information about when and where we worship, check out our church website. I hope to personally meet you this Sunday after our service. But no matter where you live, it's our hope that everyone who uses this resource is involved in their own local church. Now may God bless you this week as you seek Jesus constantly, serve the Lord faithfully, and share the gospel boldly.